Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul exhorts us to live our lives being led by the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to contrast a lifestyle that's led by our sinful nature compared to one that's led by the Holy Spirit of God. Do you have a lifestyle of being led by the Holy Spirit? Let's open our Bible now to Galatians chapter 5 and look at the incredible privilege we have to walk in the Holy Spirit and bear fruit in the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Sunday morning here in Texas and hopefully y'all loving on Jesus. Spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him. Above all, growing to obey him. Uh, it's, the, it's the greatest privilege we have in our lives is to grow in our intimacy and in our relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We do that in many ways. We do it in prayer. We do it in thanksgiving. We do it in fellowship and community. We do it in praise and worship. And um, But the primary, the, the primary way we grow to know Jesus is by spending time in our Bible, spending time in the living word of God. The scriptures are God's word to us and it, it, it feeds us. We feed our spirit in our soul when we spend time in, in God's word. So that's why we do what we do here. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, Lord willing, we'll finish Galatians chapter five today. The, the plan is to do verses uh, 13 to 26. Paul now is in the, you know, is in a strong life application um, aspect of his letter to the Galatians as he's exhorted them theologically that Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ alone is the only way to have our sins forgiven, to come into relationship with uh, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and to ultimately go to heaven when we die. There's nothing we can add to that. Paul has taken great pains and masterfully gone through the Old Testament to show that even in the Old Testament, right, um, we were saved by faith, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and the coming Savior, Jesus Christ alone. Um, you and I are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and the Savior that has already come, that came 2,000 years ago, Christ alone, right? So in the Old Testament, they looked forward to the cross for their salvation. In the New Testament, we look back to the cross for our salvation, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. The same cross, the same Christ saves us all. And so now he's... He's giving them exhortation on how to, how to live in Christ. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, your grace, your love in our lives, Father. We thank you that we have our Bible. We thank you for this book of Galatians. But, Father, more than anything, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect, righteous life for us. We thank you for dying a perfect, righteous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today. And we worship you today, Lord Jesus. We worship you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We ask you to 
to lead us and guide us now. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You'll notice I am consistently praying to each member of the Trinity, right? We have a triune God, one God, one being, but but you know, you know, God is so immense. There's not words to describe him, but because he's so much, he's one God, but he actually is three persons, right? He's one being, but three individual persons come out of that one being, right? So again, it's important. It's not one being representing representing himself in three different ways. It's not one God that represents himself sometimes as Father, sometimes as Son, and sometimes as the Holy Spirit. It's actually one being, one God, representing himself in three distinct individual persons, right? It's incredible, right? Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a human being, right? That's what I am. I'm, I'm one being, but I'm also only one person, right? I'm John Morton. Um, our God is one being, one God, but there's so much to his essence that he's represented in three individual distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus Christ, we have relationship with all of them, and we get to to have intimacy with all of them and spend time with them and grow to know them. And it's, it's the greatest privilege of our lives, as we say all the time. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Hopefully that makes sense. All right, Alicia, Galatians chapter five. We're going to start reading in verse 13 and go to the end of the chapter, which is verse 26. <clears throat> Paul speaking, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying and envying each other. I mean, that's just a, uh, I mean, it's, it's a problem in the church today. Um, just, just conceit. And out of that seat, that conceit can come just the, just this attitude of provoking, um, you know, we're to walk in the spirit, walked, led by the spirit, being in step with the Holy spirit. And it's, you know, what's contrary to that is when we start to do that and we start to do it, you know, better and we start to grow in Christ, you know, it's easy for us to become, you know, conceited. We can become arrogant, like, you know, we know what we're doing or our denomination knows what we're doing and, you know, everyone else is is just a fool. And it's something, um, you know, we have something we have to watch out for. Now, you know, it is our job to grow and mature as Christians. It is our job to to straighten out error, right, or theological error in the body of Christ, but it needs to be done in a manner that's, um, you know, that's not that's not provoking. It doesn't cause envy, right? Um, and you know, so Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, verse twenty-five, we have life in the Spirit of God. Let us keep in step with the Spirit, right? Walking step by step, living our lives in the Spirit, and this is not easy to do. Let us not become conceited. Provoking and envying each other, right? And so as we grow to do this more, right, um, you know, we ought not to be walking conceit, you know, we ought not be provoking, and, and certainly we ought not be in envy or causing envy. And so um, certainly these are things that uh, that I've struggled with, and as I said, there, there's certainly issues in the church today, and all of us in church leadership and all of us as Christians really ought to to examine ourselves and just repent, right? And I mean really every single one of us that's a Christian in the world and that's growing in Christ and walking with Christ, right? When you're in the spirit of God, you don't walk in conceit. You don't think you're better than other people, right? Now, it doesn't mean that that you're not living more in line with the word of God, but that not ought, ought not be your heart and that ought not come through in your disposition. Right. So, Father, I do ask you to forgive us for that and cleanse us of this unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord. All right. Verse 13, Paul says, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And so, again, he's gone and taken great pains to say that we're not in slavery to the law anymore, meaning, you know, uh, the law of God, the moral law, and then the Ten Commandments, the written law was given to us. And, you know, it's a blessing, right? We've talked about how if there was no law, there'd be no civilization, right? It would just implode, right? There'd be complete anarchy if we didn't have a moral law written on our hearts, a moral law to guide our conscience, and if we didn't have the written law and the word of God. So all of that is good. But it was never given to us as a means of salvation. It was never given to us so that by trying to follow these rules and laws and do good works, it was never given us to get us to heaven, right? We need a savior. We are all sinful human beings. Every one of us, all 8 billion people in the world are sinful. We've all done wrong. We all need a savior. And that only savior is Jesus Christ. We can add nothing to that, right? 
We're saved by God's grace alone. Grace is his unmerited favor toward us. Through faith alone, right? Through our belief, trust, and reliance in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. And so now we're, we're free to not, to not try to be made right with God by following the rules, by doing good works, by following the Ten Commandments, by following the Jewish dietary laws, by being circumcised. Paul has made it clear that none of these things save us. They don't even help save us. We can't add anything, Corinne, to what Jesus has done at the cross of Christ. So the question would come up then in people's minds, well, since you don't have to do anything, right? Since I'm not obligated to obey the law or follow the law, well, you know, then I guess I'm just free to live in any old sinful way that I want, right? So, and Paul can see this objection coming and certainly he's been confronted with it. And nowhere is that the attitude of a genuine Christian. Okay, if you're truly in Christ today, if you're genuinely trusting in in Jesus, if he's truly living in you. Right. And in every true believer, Jesus Christ resides. Jesus lives in us. The spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And, you know, and and the spirit of God brings conviction. Right. Always at different levels. The more mature we are in Christ, the more convicted we are of our sin. But if you're in Jesus Christ today, there will be some desire for him. There will be some desire to please him. It may be faint because, again, the vast majority of biblical Christianity, the vast majority of people that are in Christ are are baby Christians. And so, you know, uh, they often still live in a completely worldly fashion. But if you're a genuine Christian today, there ought to be some desire for Jesus in your heart. There ought to be some desire to please him. There ought to be some conviction over your sin. If you believe you're a Christian today and and, and you just live in a completely worldly way, you live in a sinful way, you live completely contrary to, to almost everything the Bible says, and that doesn't bother you at all, then you need to examine yourself to see if you truly are a Christian, right? Um, And, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, I believe it's verse 5, Paul says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, if you really are a a true Christian, right? Examine yourself. And if if you would say, I'm not sure, then you want to go back to the cross. If you would say, you know what? Yeah, I believe I'm a Christian, but it doesn't bother me to sin at all. I can be completely disobedient and doesn't bother me one bit, right? And I really don't care about Jesus that much. Yeah, I want him to save me, but... I don't have any heart for Jesus. If if that's where you would candidly say you are today, well, then you want to humble yourself and go back to the foot of the cross and receive Jesus again. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Many people think they're saved. They think they've received Jesus, but they've never truly been saved. Uh, You know, one of the greatest testimonies of my life is my daughter, Kristen, right? Um, Who, you know, was raised as a Christian, who had prayed to receive Jesus with me, who knows, 40, 50 times, many times. But when she had graduated college, you know, life didn't have a whole lot of meaning to her. And, you know, she was just depressed and, you know, and so, uh, you know, she came and talked to me and I asked her these same questions and to her credit, she answered them just 
as honest as she could. And she said, no, dad, I, I don't really have any heart for Jesus. I don't really care about Jesus. No, it really doesn't bother me when I, when I sin. And I said, honey, well, it's very probable you're not saved, that you haven't truly been saved. And, and together, you know, um, she had heard the gospel, you know, her whole life. She had heard me go it over and over. She heard it again. And with me, she called out to receive Jesus, but it was different this time. She called out and she desired Jesus and wanted Jesus, not only for the next life, not only for the forgiveness of her sins, which she did certainly want, but she wanted Jesus in her life right now. And out of that desperation, she called out to him. And you can almost see the eternal life come on her. Now that was somewhat, I don't know if it's four years or however long it is, but, uh, you know, she's been living in Christ and now she will confess that she does have a desire to please Jesus. She does want her life to count for something. She is trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of her sins and the salvation of her soul. And when she lives in any type of sinful way or, or acts in any type of sinful way, it, it does grieve her. It does bother her. She is living in the fear of God. She knows that her heavenly father will discipline her. This has nothing to do with going to heaven, but if we're, if we're real Christians, our heavenly father will discipline us. He won't throw us into hell, right? We're his children. We're going to go to heaven, but, but we will experience discipline from him. And so it's just a, an incredible testimony. So Paul says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. You're free to try, you know, to not... You know, you're not called to, to try to be made right with God by doing good or being under the law. He says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. So, you know, it's not like we're just, okay, so now that we're under God's grace and we're not under law, let's just sin it up. Let's just, let's just go and do whatever we want to do. Let's just live in a worldly, fleshly way and fulfill every worldly desire and sin that we have in our lives, right? Paul says, no, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And that's, uh, that's an exhortation to me. It's an exhortation to the church today, May. Rather, serve one another in love. As a Christian today, do you, do you have a servant's heart? Are you serving other believers and even non-believers in the love of Christ. Mm. Verse 14, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. He, Paul just said we could take the entire Old Testament. Every command that the Lord ever gave in the Old Testament is summed up. Look at this. This is an incredible verse. Paul just took the entire 39 books of the Old, of the Old Testament and said when it comes to obeying everything it says in the Old Testament, he says here it is. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that is in the Old Testament, right? Um, and that's Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 is, is what Paul's coming from. He said the entire law, every command in the Old Testament is summed up in this one single command, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean to love your neighbor as you love yourself? We sure do love ourselves. Every human being on the face of the earth that's ever been born loves themselves. They may not like themselves, but we all love ourselves, okay? We all give ourselves priority. We all like 
our preference, right? We all like what we like. We all like what we want, right? We spend all our days thinking about our life, our fun, our work, our money, our ministry, our wives, our kids, our families. Every aspect of our life is me thinking about me and my life and all that goes into my life, right? And if you look at yourself from the moment you wake up, right? You're thinking about you and your day and what goes into your day and your shower and your breakfast um, and your kids and your wife or your husband. Um, you're thinking about, you know, your fun, your vacation, your hobbies, right? That's just how we are. We do love ourselves. You know what you love the most by what you think about most. And we think about ourselves most and what makes us happy, right? That's just what all of us do. And even when we're depressed, we're depressed because we're not happy about things in our lives, right? So Paul says the entire law is summed up in a single command, right, Rap? Love your neighbor, that's who's ever near you right now, as you do love yourself, right? So imagine if you woke up, Becky, right, and started thinking about who's ever near you, right? And thinking about them, your neighbor, and their life, and their wife, or their husband, and their kids, and their troubles, and their difficulties, and their day, and their fun, right? Love your neighbor as you do love yourself, Matthew, right? Treat others in a way and love them with the priority that you think about yourself and enjoying your life, right? That sums up the entire, the entire Old Testament and everything the Lord told you to do. If you'll love your neighbor as yourself. You notice it's an others-centered love, right? Serve one another in love. Loving Christ and loving our fellow human beings, as we certainly do love ourselves, fulfills every command in the Old Testament. Verse 15, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Okay. Again, there is, um, he is speaking to the churches here in Galatia when he says this, and it certainly applies to the churches here today. There is just so much biting and devouring and territorialism. Um, and, and it's wrong. I mean, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but when we go to heaven, we're not going to have the local church. There's not going to be millions of little buildings all around heaven like there is in the world of these just broken up little congregations. The local church was given to us as a gift from God, but it's a temporary gift. It's a temporary earthly gift used for the advancement of his kingdom, but it was never supposed to be about conceit, provoking, envying, biting, devouring, being territorial, um, being superior. That was never meant to be the, 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 the focus of the church. The local church is not about your church. It's not about being a Catholic or Baptist or Reformed um, or Charismatic or Spirit-filled or non-denominational or, 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 or Lutheran or Presbyterian or Methodist, um, uh, you know, Episcopalian. Uh, you know, Pentecostal, what, whatever it is, th that means nothing. Okay. Jesus is not reformed. Okay. Jesus is not Catholic. 
Jesus is now Baptist. That may be a revelation for y'all, okay? And by the way, none of these will be in heaven either. When you get there, Scott, you're not going to say, oh, Lord, I'm with the Catholics. And some of y'all are going to say, you know, I've been a Methodist, Lord, my whole life. I prefer Lutheran, really. Um, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm a reformed man myself. It's ridiculous, okay? The local church is about the word of God, the son of God, and the kingdom of God. And that's what it's about. It's not about, you know, our denomination. It's not about our ministry. It's not about our church. Our job at Kingdom Discipleship in any ministry, in any church in the world, is to advance the son of God and the kingdom of God by teaching the word of God. That's our job. And, uh... Certainly, there's just too much biting and devouring each other. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed. And, and, and it is destroying us. We're just torn up as a church. Now, again, we need to be a church that's that's sound in the word of God and stays in the word of God. But, but we need to do a much better job in the manner in which we go about doing it. And I ask you to forgive us, Lord Jesus. Forgive me. So verse 16, here's the solution. Paul says, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Verse 17, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. So this is incredible. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Okay. We are a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body, okay? Um, when you receive Jesus Christ, the power is taken from our sinful nature, okay? But it's not eradicated, okay? We still have a nature in us, a fleshly nature, a worldly nature that, that, that's pulling us and tempting us to live in a worldly, ungodly, unbiblical, sinful way, right? All of us can, can experience and do experience daily temptations to sin, right? Now, certainly this, this applies in all areas, right? It, it applies that we can be tempted to pride, tempted to arrogance, tempted to conceit, tempted to envy, tempted to lust, um, you know, uh, tempted to profanity. We can be tempted to all kinds of things, right? And it's because, again... Although the power in Christ, our sinful nature, has been crucified, but it's certainly not eradicated, right? Because we still, you know, have a desire, a fleshly desire, oftentimes just to, to live in a sinful, selfish, myopic, it's all about me way. Um, but Paul said, so I say live by the Spirit. If you're a Christian today, Jesus Christ is living in you. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus is one with your spirit. And you cannot, if you're living by the spirit, you cannot at the same time be gratifying the desires of your sinful nature, right? You cannot be trying to live in the pleasure of sin and living in the spirit at the same time. They're polar opposites. They cannot coexist in the same moment. Okay, so obviously all of us are having moments where we're living by the spirit. And in those moments, we're not gratifying the sinful desires of our sinful nature. Okay, Paul says, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires 
of the sinful nature. Living by the Spirit is work. Living by the Spirit is hard. Now, again, we're not talking about going to heaven here. There's nothing you do to go to heaven except receive Christ as your Savior. Trust and rely on Jesus, clinging to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. But as a Christian, it's our job to, to live more and more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is consisting us, consistently pointing us to Jesus. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The key to a holy Christ-like lifestyle is to live in step with the Holy Spirit, right? To live by the Spirit, right? To walk in the Spirit. And again, when we're living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and laboring to be led by the Holy Spirit, we cannot at that same time be gratifying the pleasures of our sinful nature and living in the, in the pride and the conceit, right? The selfishness, the lust, whatever it is of our sinful nature. And when, we're, when we are living in a, in a sinful, selfish way, and that, and that in those moments, we're not certainly living by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, right? Mm. Verse 17, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. And so there's this battle in you, right? Your soul, all of us are spirit, soul, and body. Your soul is made up of your mind your will, and your emotions. That makes up your soul, right? Your sinful nature, that fleshly sinful nature, is trying to pull your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions toward it. And then you have an enemy, the devil and the demonic forces of evil, that are aiding your sinful nature, that are, that are really, you know, you know, that are exacerbating your sinful nature, that are, that are trying to, you know, you know, help your sinful nature to pull your soul toward them, right? Um, again, your soul's your mind, will, and your emotions, and your sinful nature wants to dominate your mind, your will, and your emotions. And our spiritual enemy, the devil and all the demonic forces, again, want to come alongside your sinful nature and, and, and just bring your entire soul and life under their control, okay? But now the spirit, right? Your spirit, not, you know, now is holy. In Christ, your spirit will never sin. Again, the battleground is over your soul, right? Your soul, again, is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And your spirit, remember I said you're a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body, right? Our spirit and soul live in this physical body, right? Your spirit is holy in Christ, and your spirit is desiring, right, for you to live in a, your soul. Your spirit is pulling your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, right? Toward it. Now the Holy Spirit is one with your spirit. So just like there's the demonic forces, the devil and the demonic forces try to aid the sinful nature in pulling your soul toward them. The Holy Spirit is one with your spirit and is aiding your spirit in bringing your soul, your mind, will, and emotions under the control of the spirit of God. Bam! Right, Jason? That's powerful. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict. They are in conflict with each other 
so that you do not do what you want. So there's this conflict, right? And so you have the spirit that's joined with your spirit, the Holy Spirit's joined with your spirit, that's in conflict with the sinful nature, keeping you from doing the, the ungodly, sinful passions that your sinful nature wants to do. Then on the other side, you have, it says they're in conflict, conflict with each other so that you do not do if you want. On the other side, you have the sinful nature, right? Aided by the, the devil and the demons that are, that are trying to keep you from doing the good that you want to do. Wow. Whew. That makes sense, y'all. That's, that's deep. You, you, you see that, Gwenda? All right. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. So again, if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit is leading you. And again, the more you walk with him, the more you stay in step with him, as it's about to say, the more you'll, you know, the more you'll experience this life. But if you're in Christ, you have life in Jesus, life in the spirit, and you are not under the law. You're under grace and you're led by the spirit. The spirit of God is leading you to live for Christ, to be like Christ, to obey Christ. You're not under the, the law. You're not under the Ten Commandments. You're not under the laws of circumcision. You're not under any of the Old Testament dietary laws or any laws. Okay. Now, again, the, the, the Ten Commandments are still a good thing, right? But we're, it has nothing to do with our salvation. Okay. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. As Christians, again, the Spirit of God is leading us to be like Jesus, to obey Jesus. It, it's it's we're led in Christ, in the freedom of Christ, and that that our obedience is in freedom, not in obligation. Right? Um, people who are trying to be made right with God by doing a lot of good instead of just trusting Christ and knowing their hopelessness. You know, they're trying to, to oblige God, that, but look at God, by all this good that I'm doing, by me following all these rules, you got to let me in heaven. And salvation is a gift. Remember Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, right? For it is by grace you have been saved, by grace, through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast Right? If we could get to heaven by doing a lot of good works, if we could get to heaven in our own strength and earn our way to heaven, then we'd be able to boast before God. And he's not going to have anyone boasting before him. It's a gift. A gift is just something we receive. Right? You receive a gift. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you genuinely received Jesus Christ? If you're not sure, again, just pause the tape and humble yourself before Jesus, right? Just simply go before Jesus and humble yourself and pray, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, Lord. I know I've done wrong, Lord, and I know I cannot save myself. I can't help myself be saved. Lord, I'm hopeless. I'm helpless and I am desperate. But Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And I do believe that you came into this world and lived a perfect life, even for me, and died a perfect death, even for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. 
and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence and reliance in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, that's a Christian, right? Again, it's not our words that save us, right? But we use our words to, to communicate our heart to Jesus. It's Jesus that saves us. But, you know, John 1, 12, to all who received him, right? Have you re received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Again, if you're not sure, if you think, you know, I believe in Jesus, I don't know if I'm trusting in him, relying on him. And again, just humble yourself and, and, and as sincerely and genuinely as you can, use the words I used and just pray and, and receive him as your savior. And, you know, God the Father will become your heavenly father. Jesus Christ will become your Lord and savior and master and king. God the Holy Spirit will be your guide, your counselor and your comforter. All right, verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, okay? So our fleshly sinful nature and what comes out of it, Paul said, it's obvious, okay? It shouldn't even have to be said because it's obvious, but Paul, just to, to make sure we understand, is going to say it, right? Does that make sense, right, Uncle Dennis? The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Well, if it's obvious, Paul, while mention it, well, because he mentions it because, you know, we have a tendency to, to not see the obvious. I've been accused of that. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Okay, all of these are just are, are sensual or sexual sins, right? Um, you know, uh, sexual immorality is again um, is 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 expressing your uh, any type of, of sensual sexuality outside biblical marriage. Okay, biblical marriage is is between one man and one woman, and any type of of sexual right uh, impurity. Right. Any type of sexual encounter, um, any type of pornography, uh, just any type of lustful thinking, um, any type of fornication. And, you know, you know, being in a sexual relationship, whether it be a man or a woman, um, uh, you know, or a homosexual relationship. All of these things are sexual immorality. OK, biblically, this comes out of our sinful nature when we behave this way. OK. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. They're all just, again, sensual sins, right? Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Right? All of these are just our sins in our, in, in our relationship with others, right? Right? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, right? Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. You know, again, we can see all this in ways we behave like this. Now, this is not what dominates us. We're dominated by the spirit. And Paul's going to make it clear here that if, you're, if your life is, if your lifestyle and your life is still completely reflected by all of these things, then you're not, you're not a real Christian, okay? The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy. You know what hatred is? You just, you just have a, a burning hate for other people. Uh, discord, you're just, you're just consistently, you know, in an argumentative, right, attitude. Dissensions, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Now, all of us 
stumble in these ways, right? Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. 21, Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not go to heaven if you live like this. Now, again, we don't go to heaven because of anything we've done right or wrong. We go to heaven because we receive Jesus. All of us stumble in these ways, right? Some of us stumble in certain ones, some of us, some of us stumble in all of them. But what Paul is, the key word is, I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this. If this is your day-to-day lifestyle, if your entire days are lived in indulging your sinful nature, you won't inherit the kingdom of God because you're not a child of God. You're not truly saved, okay? Someone who is truly and genuinely saved, they certainly may struggle with these things, but they don't have an everyday lifestyle of not only wanting to indulge in these things, being happy to indulge in these things, but looking forward to indulge in these things and being proud that they have indulged in these things, right? You know, when you when you see, you can remember yourself before you were a child of God, or when you look, people can be proud that they behave in these ways, right? People can be proud that they have fits of rage, right? They say, man, don't, don't mess with me. I'll lose my temper. And then, you know, I get real mad real quick. Okay, that's not a good thing. That's not something to be proud of. To be jealous, to bring discord, right? Um, to live in sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery. Just people boast about it like it's a good thing, right? Hatred. I hate that person. Drunkenness. I like getting drunk every day, right? Orgies, people just boasting about living in gross sexual impurity, right? Envy. If, if again, if these, these, these qualities are your lifestyle and you live in them unabated with no conviction, let alone you're proud of them, you're not a Christian, you may believe you're one, but you're not truly saved. Again, a Christian does struggle with these things but their, their lifestyle is not identified by them, okay? So again, if you would look at yourself and say, yeah, I enjoy doing all these things and it really doesn't bother me. I have no conviction over the sin. You know, I, I don't see as it bothers Jesus. Well, then you're not genuinely saved and you want to go back to the foot of the cross, humble yourself before Jesus and receive him. When you receive Jesus and Jesus comes to live in you, you begin to have conviction and growing conviction about living in these ways. Again, none of us are going to be perfect, but it's not our lifestyle. It's not how we live. We live in verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, but the fruit of the spirit. So this is now what the spirit brings. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. So when you're living in all these sinful ways, it's obvious that that's not coming from the spirit of God. When you live in hatred discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, orgies, drunkenness. Obviously, the Spirit of God is not leaving you, leading you to live in these ways. Right, Matt? Okay. It's obvious, Scott. Okay. So when we see these behaviors in our life, we know it's coming from our sinful nature and it's certainly not coming from the Holy Spirit. On the contrary, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit... Now, this is what comes from the Spirit of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is, and there's nine fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That's verse 22 and 23. You don't even need to be thinking about no law, right? There's no law in the Bible, right, that says not to walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these are the fruit of the Spirit, right? So do you have a lifestyle? Again, I'm not saying perfectly, but are your days... Can you, would you qualify your days as, you know what? Yes, my life is one where I more and more walk in love toward the Lord and love toward others, where I, I try to walk in the joy of the Lord, although it's hard and bring joy to others. I do. I am an instrument of peace. I do try to bring peace where there's discord and factions and anger and bitterness. You know, that is my lifestyle. Again, not that you're perfect, right? Patience. You know what? I'm Patience is probably the worst one for me, but I know it's right for me to be patient. And I'm, I'm trying to be patient. Kindness. Are you kind? Are you being led to kindness and thoughtfulness? Goodness, right? Goodness has the idea of being good and, and generous and a blessing wherever you go. Faithfulness, right? Is your life characterized by being faithful to Jesus, faithful to the word of Jesus, faithful to the gospel, faithful to others? Again, I'm not saying perfectly. In this life, none of us will be perfect. But what is your daily lifestyle? Is it more living according to the sinful nature or is it more the fruit of the Spirit? If, if you have a daily lifestyle that's consistently and more and more qualified by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's interesting. Self-control is like a defensive one, right? Meaning what is self-control is when you're able to maintain yourself right? When you're able to stay on the level, Alicia, right? When you don't just go losing your head, it's the opposite of a fit of rage, right? Self-control, right? When you're able to be cool and calm. And again, I, I you know, again, I've struggled. I mean, I've just gotten angry and bitter and raised my voice and shouted. And it's just, it's not of the spirit, right? Someone who's living in self-control understands when they're being mistreated. They understand when they're being disrespected, but yet they're under the control of the spirit. They're not just losing their cool, Stephen, and getting up from the chair and shouting because the game didn't go my way, right? Um, you know, so, you know, these are the ways that the spirit of God does lead us. It's obviously not the spirit of God that's leading us into the acts of the sinful nature. And obviously the sinful nature doesn't lead us into love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Again, if, you, if you're a genuine Christian today, your sinful nature has been crucified. The power has been taken from it, but it's certainly not eradicated, right? It certainly hasn't been utterly removed from us because... We would have no temptation to sin if it were. It will be utterly and completely removed when we leave this life. When we go to heaven, we'll still have a will. We'll still make choices. But the sinful nature will have been utterly eradicated and taken from us. So there will actually be no inclination to ever think or do or speak 
in any type of evil or sinful or ungodly way. Does that not sound like the greatest thing you've ever heard ever, Lauren? Right? Wendy, don't that sound good to you? When you get to heaven, when you leave this body, you will still have a free will. You'll still make choices. But there will absolutely be no inclination to any type of bitterness or anger or sin or selfishness. It, it won't occur to you to think in this way, to speak in this way, or to act in this way, because the sinful nature will have been utterly and completely eradicated. Golly, thank you, Lord Jesus. Don't you look forward to that day where you're not tempted to these things anymore? Come, Lord Jesus, come right now, Lord, please. Verse 25, again, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since you have life in the Spirit of God, since the Spirit of God lives in you, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, so again, and that takes work, right? Even though we're Christians and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have to make effort to keep in step with the Spirit. The more we keep in step with the Spirit and follow the Spirit and be led by the Spirit, the less we'll live according to our sinful nature. And again, the two can't exist at the same time. When we're in step with the Spirit, at that time, we are absolutely, in that moment, not living in the sinful nature. In verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And we already said that as we begin to do these things better and better, we begin to think that we're better, we're a better church, we're a better denomination, we know what's up, we know what's better. And again, um, it's one thing to be confident that we're living according to the word of God, but we ought not become conceited. And that conceit brings on you know, provocation, provoking, and envying. And uh, again, it's just an area for us to repent. So Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, your grace, your love in our lives. Father, we thank you. We worship you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for our Bible. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the fruit of the Spirit. I ask you to help us one and all to more and more, Holy Spirit, live in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we thank you. Holy Spirit, seal the message to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus.